Your film is now ready to be shown. Good evening. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. This is a special episode of the podcast. On October 7th, Tech Policy Press hosted a mini-conference called Reconciling Social Media and Democracy. While various solutions to problems at the intersection of social media and democracy are under consideration, from regulation to antitrust action, some experts are enthusiastic about the opportunity to create a new social media ecosystem that relies less on centrally managed platforms like Facebook and more on decentralized, interoperable services and components. The final session of the event features Dr. Ramesh Srinivasan, professor in the UCLA Department of Information Studies and director of the UC Digital Cultures Lab, who with Dipayan Ghosh was the author of the article Reigning in Big Tech in the Journal of Democracy series on the future of platform power that has served as the basis for some of the discussion at this event. You'll hear Ramesh's thoughts in our discussion, followed by some concluding thoughts in reply by other participants in the day, including Dr. Natalie Marischal and Richard Reisman, who were panelists in the first session. Subscribe to the Tech Policy Press podcast via your favorite podcast service for additional panels from the event, and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at Tech Policy Press. Our next segment is going to uh, talk about reforming uh, the business model of the platforms on some level, um, which is going to pick back up with the conversation uh, that we were having earlier about the various essays in uh, Frank Fukuyama's series of essays in the Journal of Democracy. I'm so very pleased that uh, Ramesh uh, can join us today. I don't want to kind of put too many words in your mouth. I don't want to suggest that you're you're going to throw cold water on this whole idea of decentralization, but um, maybe just as a prompt to, to get you to uh, have an opening salvo on your point of view, one of the things that you do is, is essentially critique Fukuyama's proposal, so bringing us back around to where we started today from the perspective of uh, the market and perspective of, of where the industry is at the moment. Absolutely, Justin. And, uh, you know, thanks, thanks for having me. And thanks also for um, spotlighting the work that Deepayan and I did on this particular piece. Um, it's been quite a week, as we all know. Um, I've been nonstop uh, talking with, um, with media all around the world about what we can do about these, these, these challenges we're facing. And I would just want to underscore maybe two main points that uh, Deepayan Ghosh and I made in the piece that we uh, contributed to the Journal of Democracy um, that you are convening us around, uh, Justin. Uh, first of all, it's absolutely essential that the algorithms that drive visibility and virality of content be that which are engaged with in a highly direct manner, right? Particularly given what many of us have suspected and written about based on sort of heuristic evidence, but now we see kind of you know, sort of corroborating evidence from inside of Facebook. I mean, Facebook is just an, a symptom of a much wider problem amongst, I would say, most big tech companies where the algorithm is privileged, is privileging content that's negative, that's hateful, that's arousal optimized, right? So farming out, no matter through what model, uh, whether it's a market-based model or a model that we argue for content moderation, the, the moderation component of this or what um, Dr. Fukuyama describes as sort of a middle layer 
won't resolve that particular issue, right? So you may have sort of egregious content that might, you know, sort of be moderated out with a, a sort of a greater multi-stakeholder market model around around moderation, but that doesn't resolve ultimately the choices that you know the that particularly heinous content tends to bubble up to the top. And this is all based on correlation, as many of you know, rather than an actual semantic analysis of that content or a semantic analysis of oneself. So that's point one. Point two, just dramatically missing from Dr. Fukuyama's proposal, which I we we do like some components of it and appreciate his diagnosis of the of the larger uh, challenge here at hand, uh, is the absence of a public focused model toward moderation and a public focused model toward any sort of regulatory action, whether it's, you know, broadening the content moderation, you know, which we all agree is important and also the algorithm itself. So, you know, audit, design, you know, content moderation, these all need to be in the hands of organizations that are dedicated to a certain notion of the public interest. Now, of course, there is no single public, you know, this is a, debate that I'll probably have with, or that I have silently, not directly with Jürgen Habermas, right? That, you know, the great scholar of, one of the great scholars of the public sphere. And I, I deeply appreciate his work. But when we talk about the reach of a technology platform, such as the portfolio of technologies owned by the company of Facebook, WhatsApp, you know, Instagram, and so on, we're talking about very different kinds of global publics, right? The, the teenage public, the teenage girl, female public, that Instagram is, is, is connected to depression around is a different kind of public than, uh, than, a, than, a, than people involved in human rights um, in Myanmar. So Dr. Fukuyama is absolutely right that different kinds of stakeholders need to be involved in the moderation kind of business, if you will. But it's extremely important that those organizations, we can't just naively trust that it's sort of a, a market based solution to this problem, when in many cases, market failure and the actually absence of a market behavior is what we're seeing when it comes to tech uh, these days. I mean, if anything, I would argue that this is a certain kind of zombified aspect of, ca of, of capitalism rather than sort of a, an extension of the free market that we see occurring today. Probably Dr. Fukuyama would agree with that given his proposals. But given that the realities are that the free market has kind of turned into this because the free market is not simply free, it's interwoven with the state. It, it's, it's, not, it's not really regulated, right? It's a free market failure that led to the situation. So it's hard to believe that free market reintroduction would somehow resolve these situations when all the while the public interest is what has been ignored, particularly vulnerable people and communities, right? Queer communities global South communities, black and brown communities, women, et cetera. So I just wanna, th those are the main points. Um, this is of course me, my relay of the main points that Deepayan, Dr. Ghosh, uh, Deepayan Ghosh and I made in our piece. But this is a point I've been making uh, a million times in uh, everything I write for the mainstream and progressive media, uh, for policy I work on. I currently am working on a couple pieces of policy with members of the Congressional and Progressive Caucus um, and so on. So, you know, just want to start with that. Thanks, Justin. 
So maybe one of the things that I'll, I'll just ask you about a little bit, you know, you, you two focus particularly on privacy um, and concerns around privacy, and maybe I'll, I'll push you just for a little bit more on, on that particular angle and the concerns around that with regard to this general proposal around decentralization or unbundling. So again, just, just to make sure I understood that, our critique is one around related to privacy, and is, is, is your question how that's connected to the decentralization proposal of Dr. Yes. Fukuyama's? Yes. Oh, I see. I don't see. I don't see Dr. Fukuyama's proposal as actually engaging in a true type of decentralization. I think it's sort of, <laughs> you know, saying that there are more market entrants in a market that's been completely corroded by an oligopolic system. This, which is what we see right now, um, doesn't really isn't really decentralizing. I don't actually really. I, I think there's a little bit of an appropriation of that term decentralizing. Of course, we love using that term when it comes to the internet, but. If, if we're not intervening with the algorithm, if we're not I- intervening with Facebook's dominant market share or, or other, not just Facebook, Amazon, I mean, think about Amazon here as well. We're not actually doing anything that's decentralizing. So it's through, so it's not privacy alone that's part of our proposal, but it's an understanding that privacy and the sovereignty of various types of communities that have been so adversely affected by this latest stage of techno capitalism is what we need to is is where we want to go. So of course, you know, I was I was watching um, a good conversation with my colleague Jessica Gonzalez from Free Press with Roger McNamee uh, the other the last couple of days on Democracy Now, which I've also appeared on before, and they were making the really important point that what what it what we are lo- what we're looking at here, especially Jessica was making this point, is not just a data privacy oriented form of intervention but also a form of intervention that is sort of more largely public interest based. And I think so, so I would call it more like a digital rights set of proposals that we need that are interlocking, right? So, you know, one of the proposals that Deepayan Ghosh and I make in the piece is that we may want to explore utility-based regulatory models and or, you know, uh, antitrust-based regulatory models as we try to sandbox what to to do about this situation. The reason being that as we know that many, many utilities that have been taken over and are guided by the private interest tend to fail at the times when the public most needs it. A very spectacular example of this was the failure of the electrical system, the electrical grid system, when you know the brutal weather hit uh, Texas and Louisiana. So it's a very, and, and, and another great example of it is what, what we just saw with the Facebook outage, right? So a utility-based regulatory model would ensure that the public is taken care of in whatever regulatory actions are taken. Are, are, are taken. So, it's, so it's kind of like the lenses by which we want to look at. So individual privacy, data privacy is intimately connected to obviously political disinformation, which is also connected to this incredibly unequal and ever more unequal digital economy. So all of these things need to be considered concurrently and I would say a much more expansive piece of legislation. And I also say this as a progressive, that I think it's important that we really start, we, we go hard when we, when, we, when we enter, and then we think about the ways we want to amend po- policy accordingly. That's my opinion. I've been involved, and so has Deepayan uh, Ghosh, in several different bills that were introduced to kind of cut into Section 230 liability. Um, but, you know, uh, to me, that doesn't deal with the much larger issue that's at play, which is the the, the kind of corporate, private, interest-driven takeover of all things digital, which, as we all know, 
is the basis by which almost everything in our lives is now mediated and expressed. So we have to wean the internet off ad dollars. That's a huge, that's a big part. It's this ad focused model, but it's this ad focused model. Like it's not selling me better soap. It's looking into my experiences of, of depression, arousal, in what's called engagement and targeting me in ways that might reflect a nightmare I may have, or I'm yet to have, right? Like, I mean, for, I'll give you guys just a very example. I'm very, very healthy. I was, you know, just like went to the physician like last month or whatever. I get ads for like cancer treatments. I get ads, I get ads for diabetes treatments. So it's like, I don't have any, these are not predictions of what are likely to be my reality. They're predictions of scary nightmares. They're introducing them into my, into my life and my mind. I'm not letting it have any credence, but at the same time, I think that's important to note what the nature is. It's not simply a certain kind of, you know, teleological prediction. It's much more about kind of what will get you freaked out. You, you see privacy is the most urgent need. Uh, you want to uh, counter this digital economy. You want to find a way to treat uh, attention in a different manner um, that is you know, more in line with, with the types of uh, values that you describe. If decentralization doesn't do any of that, do you see any value to pursuing it? Is there any value to democracy um, if, we, if we can't address those things? So I think, I think Dr. Fukuyama's proposal is important as one component of a much larger strategy that has public interests or public's interests at, at the, at the, as our sort of North Star, right? I mean, if you look at content moderation issues, you know, as we all know, the majority of content moderation tends to be obfuscated, disguised labor you know, and very similar to what we saw with call centers, you know, and in, in, in another facet. And if you also look at content moderation, it's dominantly focused on English language content moderation, with despite English, apparently, this is what Jessica Gonzalez was saying, being only about 10% of the actual traffic, you know, for a company like Facebook. So here's what, so let's, let's like take the really important components of Dr. Fukuyama's proposal and build upon them, which would be to think about expanding, you know, out content moderation to actually support journalists and 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 folks who have a certain kind of understanding of local publics, politics, and cultures in the different parts of the world to which these companies have expanded and ever want want to expand even more. Right? You know, they want to blanket the entire wider internet. So, what have we hired? you know, good journalists in Burma to be the, to be content moderators. And instead of them being sort of some obfuscated, exploited PTSD, you know, affected laborer in the Philippines awake in the middle of the night, let's have those people be front and center driving decisions around that can work with these algorithms uh, in, in these different places. Right. So I think that there's, here's a huge opportunity to resolve some of the digital economy issues, right. It's an intersecting proposal in this particular case, if we, if we can find ways to get this trillion plus dollar valuated company to fork over some money to hire people to do the kind of auditing and design and moderation work in these different parts of the world in, in non-English language places to which the networks of uh, the, the access is expanded, that's great. That's a great thing to do. So in that sense, there, 
could be some good resonance there with uh, Dr. Fukuyama's proposal. So are there, are there other things that you, you think are, are going on in the world that sort of, I don't know, give you some hope, hope that we'll get beyond this particular moment? Um, you've yeah. brought back this sort of sense of urgency, I think, um, to the problems that we face that we started the event off with. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, I, I think that it's important to note that um, in much of the United States, and then we can kind of see other examples globally, the status quo is considered unacceptable by the vast majority of people. That said, you know, uh, we have, there's a reliance on these, on these platforms. The developers and investors and executives at these companies deserve some credit for building some really amazing technologies. I'm not trying to, you know, kind of push that. I think it's important for them to, to see this as a great design and engineering exercise that is intersecting with questions of the, uh, of being a hu- of being of humanizing and social sciences to really think about how do we design for a way that really supports multivocality how do we design for such a way that supports more of a people's based democracy while staying while remaining profitable given that that's the nature of the enterprise here is this sort of toxic uh, you know sympathetic nervous system on steroids model the only way to be uh, profitable and have the kind of traction you have. Like, let's let's do some A/B testing. Let's like let's see this as the new disruption, right? So, like, I want to encourage my my friends and colleagues who work at these companies. Many friends of mine, you know, I was Stanford late '90s, so it's like this was my world, you know. And um, <laughs> I just want to encourage my colleagues there to like let's think about a certain kind of uh, notion of design that's you know socio technical, that's inclusive that's truly collaborative. So I think I just want to say those things. And I think it's extremely important in our world more widely where, you know, dominantly the people who are most rapidly, uh, you know, upticking in terms of internet access or in the global South, for example, the African continent, the youngest people in the world are in these parts of the world. So like, let's, they are in many ways, the future of where, you know, the internet will be going. So let's have them front and center in, in terms of helping drive the decisions that we make rather than objectifying or patronizing these people. So there may be opportunities to see experiments thrive and, and other parts of the world that we could then uh, maybe even bring back here. Particularly given the, the kind of very mainstream now understanding of bias and technology, you know, like what those biases are geographic, they're gendered, they're racial, et cetera, right? So like, you know, I mean, I give Google credit with all the kind of failures of their algorithms and the African continent, they did set up a lab and they are interacting with black and AI, um, you know, in, in Accra and Ghana. So like where that goes, that's an interesting question, right? Like, so, so I think those things, or, or rather than simply thinking that the resolution to, you know, racist uh, facial recognition technologies or algorithms should just be making them better or more inclusive. Let's ask questions about whether those technologies should be applied or, or, or be present to begin with. And, and in what context, like following the lead of, for example, the city of San Francisco, which uh, banned facial recognition. So I, I think we need to think about design, not just as, uh, oh my gosh, we've got to get a few black people like to help us be inclusive. That's a very neoliberal accumulative kind of approach. What I would argue instead is let's really think about 
design as a way of, of conceptualizing what kinds of technologies made by whom, for whom, and whether they should even be developed or applied, you know, in what cases. So I, wanna, I want us to think on that level. Like, let's start by thinking about this kind of concept of, of, a, of public spheres and then design based on that. We're uh, close to the end of our, our conversation. Ramesh, do you have a few more minutes? Totally. Great. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, uh, Natalie, if you want to, uh, uh, camera back on, uh, I don't know, Dick, if you're, if you're still there, Rob, you're welcome as well, Brian. Um, just want to invite uh, Natalie in particular, uh, with any, any thoughts in reply, you've been with us the whole day. So you've watched the whole arc of the conversation. So just thought I'd bring you back in, uh, with any response to, to Ramesh or, uh, to our earlier speakers. Thanks so much, Justin. Uh, and Ramesh, it's, it's great to meet you. I'm a big fan of your work. Um, and, you know, I, I have to say, I, I agree with, with all the points that, that you made uh, today. So, and, and, and in your piece with, uh, with, with Depayan, who, uh, who, who I know very well um, also. Um, you know, the, the, the two big thoughts that, that are really, well, three, three big thoughts that, that are front of mind. Uh, one is, uh, you know, it's, it's been said a lot, but I think it, it, it bears repeating. This is really a whole of society problem, and it's going to take a, a whole of society solution. So there's a ton of room for lots of people to uh, think about and iterate on different aspects of the problem. You know, I think to a large extent, experts tend to gravitate on the part of the problem that is the closest to their area of expertise, right? Which is why you don't hear me talking about tech design or antitrust, because I'm like, sure, do that. Um I don't know. Um, so, you know, I think I think it would be a mistake to assume that just because somebody else, you know, um, is focusing on um, part A of the problem, that that means that they think that part B that you are working on uh, is 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 dumb or unproductive um, and so on. So, you know, for me, like this, this conversation is super interesting, super educational. It's probably not going to change the focus of, of my work or of, or of ranking digital rights's work, but that doesn't mean that um, I don't value um, innovation and, and research and, and, and hard thinking that's being done in uh, on other aspects of this problem, right? The second thing that that really comes to mind is that um, there's a ton of really that that you know that's referring to my mind is that there's a ton of super super important questions about this middleware problem that I that you know that I identified as like huge questions in 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 my piece in the Journal of Democracy and that I'm still not hearing. Um, answers to or even a path toward answering, starting with how are we making the today's big platforms cooperate with this plan? And second, how are we paying uh, these these middleware providers? Right. Like, I, I, I just I just can't help but feeling that until we address these two questions, um, everything else is, you know, super interesting uh, intellectual discussion, but I don't see it going any further than that. And then my third, uh, you know, big thought, um, which anyone who follows me on Twitter is is going to roll their eyes at, because I've been harping on that a lot, is uh, the, the the central necessity of corporate governance reform. Um, it's not nearly as sexy as uh, poking holes in Section 230. Um, I mean, I live in D.C., a couple miles from, from Capitol Hill, so we have a, a very particular definition of sexy down here. Um, but, you know, things like, you know, abolishing or at least, you know, setting in like a, a sunset clause for, you know, dual structured uh, shareholder share structures, 
what what is the actual phrase? I always mess it up. But the the thing where there's A, B, and C stock with different voting. voting yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Some for some reason I cannot get the order of those words straight ever. Um, you know we need to we need to deal with that. We need to deal with the fact that um, Zuckerberg and a lot of the others are both chairman of the board of directors and CEO. That means they're only accountable to themselves. Like those two facts together to my mind, are an insurmountable barrier to literally everything else because we cannot get anything through um, without uh, without approval from, you know, the, 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 the guy who's appointed himself dictator, right? Um, and so I'm really interested right now in uh, thinking through um, legal mechanisms to, to compel changes to how um, massive uh, multinational corporations that are uh, headquartered in the U.S. and traded on the New York Stock Exchange are governed. Uh, it's a really far field from, you know, what I thought I was getting into when I started working on, on these topics uh, 10, 10 plus years ago, right? I have degrees in international relations and human rights and communication, and here I am th thinking about how to make the SEC do stuff. Um, I don't have answers yet, um, but that's that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm super excited about talking about. But again, that doesn't mean that um, other people shouldn't be talking about the things that they're super interested in talking about. I'll stop there. Ramesh, any thoughts by reply? Oh, just completely agree. And I'm a big fan of your work also, Natalie. So it's really nice to meet you this way. And um, Defiance told me great things. And yeah, the, 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 because it's also a political economy issue here, right? And, and that's actually, I feel, what you're alluding to when you're talking about these kind of internal mechanisms of even shareholder structuring, right? So you can't even, so, so, you, so even if you thought of the shareholders as some sort of democratic body of governance, that's not even possible in this case. So every single aspect of this needs to be peeled back. We need to look at the mechanisms by which the status quo has been is is being constructed and, and and worsened and perpetuated and then intervene there and it's all hands on deck all of us should be doing our own things and we and it's so great that we're all talking with one another thanks to justin bringing us together <laughs> so so it's stuff like that we we need to do things things like this and present these proposals to the various representatives or legislators we we are in contact with both in this country and around the world Dick, I want to bring you into the conversation. Um, we're almost finished up here. We're gonna we're gonna be done here in just a minute, folks. Um, but just a couple of thoughts on on that last point from Ramesh. Yeah, I, I think you know your points make sense. I I have some somewhat different views on a few of them, but sort of working backwards on the governance reform that Natalie mentioned. You know, I I, kind of, I agree completely that any company beyond a certain scale should not have that kind of governance structure. It's just totally insane, especially for something with the amount of dominance that Facebook has. On the paying, well, first, okay, the other simple question is, yeah, you're not going to force Facebook to do it except by government regulation of some kind. So that's the challenge. Um, there's a one, one thing that sort of struck me just to sort of clarify how this thing might work is I worked for a, the Bell system before the breakup. And the, the Bell System breakup to me was a huge success because it took something that was a utility, but didn't have any competition, didn't innovate. You know, Bell Labs did wonderful things, but they didn't turn into products. You couldn't connect things. Um, so the government figured out how to break them up in a very well-architected way that unleashed all kinds of competition uh, and all kinds of innovation. 
And so to me, the answer is you don't get rid of the free market, but you regulate it so that it is truly a level free market, which is the kind of stuff that Corey's talking about uh, in particular. And I think that's sort of what the, the whole proposal here is to get that kind of you know, sensibly regulated competition, not laissez-faire, you know, profit at all costs things. One way to do it with Facebook might be to spin off the filtering side of Facebook as a separate entity and leave them as the, you know, the underlying connectivity utility, make the code for that open source, give the spun off entity the staff to operate it, but allow other big players to take that code and build competing services that do a better job, different code, different job, fork the code and create that kind of middleware function. And then with that base, there may be enough infrastructure so the little guys can play the same game and, and deal with the resource issues. So, so that's sort of, you know, I think the issue is to try and find a way to find a hybrid solution that works because you, you've got lots of valid points of why we can't just do it instantly. Um, and then on the business model, um, I think there's really, you know, people have been blind in digital as to how you charge for digital services. And one of the things I've been working on is some stuff that's been in some marketing journals and in HBR on ways to get pricing that's much more variable and much more related to the value people get so that you could do this kind of reverse metering so that people have more control over the ads they see and how these companies profit in a way that serves users, uh, where the user has a seat at the table, basically. Lots of lots of important points and, and really nice to meet you. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think of uh, Tim Wu's book, The Master Switch, when you were bringing, when you were discussing um, the sort of the breakup of the Bell system and how there was an introduction of greater competition in that that occurred as a function of that action. And, um, you know, I think that's interesting to think about given that Tim Wu is in the Biden administration yes, and yes. doesn't know what, what that would mean exactly. The, the, the main point I'm trying to make is I understand that, you know, moving forward, there is that we need a sort of more multiplicitous sort of market here, but I also don't necessarily have faith that more market entrants would mean that some of those entities or them writ large will kind of will 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 be kind of north star focused on these sort of public interest issues. So I think again, we are talking about public private certain yeah. kinds of actions. I, I, I we have to be realistic about you know, and I, I I love the idea of us being able to out of some of these reforms being able to support you know, sustainable, small and media, medium sized businesses that can then help take up some take up some of these problems that are occurring. I'm not sure that that we could ever convince Facebook to make their code open source per se, because in a sense, that might be what would be considered not just Facebook any of these guys, part because the code seems to be a sort of a pretty proprietary intervention. However, they could give us lots of heuristics and lots of mechanisms. And also we could we could kind of cut off their reach in particular ways, or we can even on a heuristic level influence the way algorithm, the algorithms and data collection systems and so on are designed. Um, I think in terms of competition with Facebook itself, and a few, few reporters have asked me about this, and I'm sure you all too, 
the network effects issue, right, is so is such where it would be hard to imagine. You know, I know we've had these little stories over the past like 10, 15 years where these like little so, these social media companies form and then everybody flocks to them and then they they kind of crash on a server level or people flock to them and then they never use them. Like remember Ello, everybody? E-L-L-O. That was a great example of that. So it's it's you know, it's I'm on Facebook not to see, I'm not really interested in anything that Mark, no offense intended, or Sheryl Sandberg have to say or post. I mean, other than hopefully them having a better response to what's occurring than what I've seen so far. Um, but I am on there because I want to see what Justin has to say and you have to say and Natalie have to say. We're on there for one another, right? So it's really, it's really, really important to recognize given that you know, across Facebook-owned products, we have 3.7 or so billion people on them. It's hard to imagine an Ello or almost any other sort of, you know, coming from the bottom up organization being able to compete on that level, right? So I think that's the main, so I think we have a lot of overlap in our, in our, in our positions on these things, which is mm-hmm. great. Well, I think we are almost out of time. I want to kind of draw this to a close. Um, I want to thank uh, all of the, the folks who are on. Ramesh, I want to thank you for, for joining us uh, uh, to represent uh, your work uh, with, with uh, Depayan. And I'm very grateful to you. Uh, Natalie, thank you for being part of this the whole day. You've, you've given us uh, the substantial part of your afternoon. So very grateful uh, to you for, for both your essay and also uh, your ongoing activism in this space. So thank you. And Dick, uh, of course, we've talked about this event, um, you know, in more depth than uh, any of the others. I appreciate you very much, all your leadership on this and uh, your enthusiasm for it. So thank you for helping to put this together and being part of the afternoon as well. So I'm very grateful to all of you. And Brian, uh, Rob, who are still up there, thank you so much uh, for, for all your help with this event. We're grateful to you. Um, I would just say that we will uh, certainly make audio and summary articles available, transcripts. Um, I would encourage you to be in touch with me, Justin at techpolicy.press is my email. You can also, of course, find me on Twitter at techpolicypress or at Justin Hendricks. Um, They're way too often uh, when my eyes are open, I'm on Twitter. Um, So we'll uh, absolutely hope to carry on this conversation. And Dick, last thought from you. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you for organizing this and providing the platform for it because I think it was a great event that was badly needed and hopefully will influence progress going forward. Many complicated uh, aspects to this. We've got to keep going. Brian, any last thought there? Looks like you've just joined on. Nope. Just want to echo Dick and thank everybody for joining and thanking all the panelists and, and the conversation today was fantastic. Much much needed and appreciated. And I think it's a good, good starting point for uh, future conversations. So thank you to everybody for participating today. Thank you all and very grateful. And we will talk to you soon. And please do listen to the podcast where this audio will show up uh, in due time. Thank you. That's it for this special episode from the October 7th Tech Policy Press event, Reconciling Social Media and Democracy. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. Thanks to our panelists. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.